Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Check one, two, three. Good morning. Good morning. I know. I know. Good morning, everybody on the right side. <laughs> this is the beautiful thing about our community. They actually like being together. Morning, everybody. Morning. Wow, this is so great uh, that we love to just partake in fellowship with one another, that we love to be together, that we love to hear about each other's week, good, bad, or whatever. If you're a Red Sox fan, it's not such a good week. If you're a Yankees fan, this is the wrong church for you. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, good morning, my name is Roberto Sanchez. I'm the youth pastor here at uh, Princeton Community Church. For those of you who are visiting, it's just a pleasure and an honor for me to be sharing from God's word today. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, and we're gonna be focused in on uh, starting at verse 17. Uh, and we've been going through a series this summer called The Different Life. And we've been going through this series in the book of 1 Corinthians because it is clear to us that Paul is uh, commending some things and also dealing with some things within the Corinthian church. And so as a result, he's exhorting the church at Corinth to live a different life. He's calling them to the different life that God has called them to live out. And so today we're going to be once again, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, starting at verse 17. And this week, uh, we will be diving into a key aspect of our Christian life. We will experience and discover the life-changing institution of the Lord's Supper within the church. What is the Lord's Supper? And, and why do we partake in it is the key question for today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we find a church that is misunderstanding the meaning and the intent uh, behind this sacred practice that, as you know, here we practice weekly. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church, very clearly. It is one of the two ways the church remembers, celebrates, and identifies with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only other way is through baptism. It's what makes us different than other world religions and, and other world philosophies. When we come and eat the bread and drink the wine, we are essentially embracing the reality of our faith in that moment through this symbolic act of worship. The Church of Corinth that we've been learning about this summer had managed to forget or simply just dismiss the true intent of this sacred time of the Lord's Supper. So the Apostle Paul writes to them to straighten them out or to straighten some things out in their minds and in their hearts regarding the practice of the Lord's Supper in their local church, in their local context. But there's much from it that we can learn. He wants to reorient, reorient their hearts. They and we are called to live a different life as we've been challenged to this summer by this book. 
which means that they must embrace this sacred meal of the Lord's Supper in a different way than they had been doing. Today, I want us to learn from them. Are we taking the Lord's Supper seriously? Are we taking this moment of intimate reflection with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as a moment of serious reflection and contemplation about our own walk of faith and our own journey with Christ? Are we coming to this holy moment of intimate reflection with a posture that is engaged with God's spirit and aware of his presence in our life and what he's done for us? And what we will see today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is that we will learn four things today. We'll learn firstly that living the different life means we don't make a mockery of the Lord's Supper. We will learn that to embrace the different life, the Lord's Supper, we, we must inter- in, embrace it intellectually, we must embrace it physically, and we must embrace it spiritually. Let us turn to scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 30, which says this. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim Lord, the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. That is serious. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is the scripture that we're going to be digging into and taking a closer look at God's word today. So let's pray for wisdom. God, thank you so much for this time where you are going to teach us something about who you are, where you are going to teach us something about who we are in spite of our sin, And because of all that you've done for us, God, I pray that today as we dig into your word, that God, we can lean into those aspects of our life that maybe uh, are hard to see, that you would just do the work that you want to do in us today, God, and help us to understand and apply your word 
in a way that would impact our lives and all those that we influence. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, we see that the Apostle Paul, he's teaching us that living the different life means that we don't make a mockery of the Lord's Supper. What is Paul teaching us about the Lord's Supper? Look at 1 Corinthians uh, 11, verse 17, and notice that Paul is rebuking the church at Corinth for making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. He says in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Paul goes on to share with the church clearly how they are making a mockery of the Lord's Supper and how they are making a mockery is what it boils down to is that they are not practicing this sacred institution in a manner that is worthy. That is the key phrase that he is just hammering into in everything that he uncovers about what is going on in this local church when they partake in the Lord's Supper. He is saying that they are partaking in it in a manner in which is unworthy. And so I think that for us today, it's so important to dig into this so that we can learn from it, so that we can truly experience and discover the life-changing love of Jesus Christ in our life in a practical way, so that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're not just simply thinking that it's a little piece of cracker and a little thing of grape juice, or in some cases, wine, so that we're knowing exactly what the meaning of this is for us, for our life, so that we're taking this time seriously and reflecting on who Jesus is, who we are, and who we are in light of him. Because Paul points out some serious things that shouldn't be happening, starting in verse 18 to 19, where he says, they are partaking in disunity. Verse 18 says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So he points out this this idea that in this one time, remember, there's only two ordinances of the church. There's the Lord's Supper and there's baptism, where we once again celebrate, remember, and recall all that Jesus has done for us through the cross and through his sacrifice and through his death and resurrection. So this is a unifying thing. This is something that's meant to unify the church. And Paul is clearly pointing out here in verses 18 to 19 that this is causing division in this particular local body. He's saying that there's this unity. Why? In part, He says, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So obviously he's saying the thing that's not unifying the church during this moment is the fact that some are partaking in a worthy manner and some are not. And so obviously there's going to be factions. But what God wants us to learn about that is that there shouldn't be factions in something that is meant to bring unity among us something that is meant and has been established by Jesus to help us remember and recall what he's done and who he is in our life and what we are unified by. And secondly, he says in verse 20 to 21, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. 
One goes hungry and another gets drunk. Another disunifying factor. They are alienating the poor in their midst by being gluttons and drunks. So this is why he, he, he'll go on to say uh, or ask them, if, uh, don't they have houses that they can eat and drink in? Because they're missing the point of the Lord's Supper, which is a sacred moment of unity within the church, which, which is a sacred moment of reflection within the church. What they're doing is some people are, have been coming in to the Lord's Supper and they're getting drunk and they're overeating and there's poor people among them. And instead of sharing what they have and creating a, a, a unity and creating a bond in this kind of familial atmosphere, they're simply coming in and doing their own thing, caring less for those others that have nothing to bring to the table. And he's saying, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of this unifying ordinance. How can there be people among you that don't have anything and you're there getting silly and sloppy and drunk and overeating? He's saying you're missing the point. This is not what it is. You're, it's not a man, this is not partaking in this, in this institution in a manner worthy. And once again, in verse 22, Again, this, he's hitting, he's hammering this idea of them not partaking in this in a manner worthy. In verse 22, we see that they are downgrading the holiness and the gravity of the moment. He says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Again, he's hammering this idea of disunity that's going on. He's pointing at the sin that's going on. He's saying, hey, listen, this is something that we have to partake in that unifies us, and we have to partake in it in a manner worthy. And if you're just using this as some kind of party where you're just getting drunk and, and, and celebrating and overeating and completely dismissing the people among you who can't even afford to bring anything to the table, then you've lost the point. This is what you have to understand about the church at this time. You see how we celebrate here? We worship. We have some songs that we sing praises to God about. Their main thing at this time was the Lord's Supper. This was the main aspect of their worship when they got together and remembered what Christ did through fellowship. And so they're saying, man, you're taking this holy movement, Paul is saying, this holy moment of ours, and you're completely perverting it. It would be akin to us being here and getting sloppy drunk and all this kinds of stuff, just completely disregarding this space and this moment as one of unity and a time of holiness where we're getting together to be edified by God's word and by God's spirit among God's people, because this was their main Sunday morning thing so to speak. So he's saying you're missing it. You're practicing this in a manner unworthy. And number four, we see that they are failing to partake in the Lord's Supper the way the Lord Jesus instructed them in verses 23 and 27. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is 
the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, he's trying to reorient their heart. He's trying to reorient their mind. They're making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. And he's saying, no, guys, listen, get the point. Get back to the basics. How did Jesus instruct us to do this? What did he show us is the meaning of this moment? How should we be approaching this moment? What should be our posture? We see in verse 28 to 30 that they are partaking in the Lord's Supper without experiencing the spirit and the meaning intended. It says, let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Guys, this is really tough language. But basically what God is telling us here is this. When you come to this moment of the Lord's Supper, it's very clear here that there is a self-examination that needs to be happening. Because we're not just dealing with juice and crackers. We're dealing with the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross. He's constantly reorienting their heart and saying, listen, remember, examine yourself. Where are you with God? Are you partaking in an unworthy manner? Is there sin in your life that, that you haven't dealt with before the Lord? He'll graciously forgive you. But please remember that when you're partaking in the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. Because if you don't, he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. God takes the, this moment seriously because he's orienting us to what ultimately he has done on the cross for us. And, you know, you may be sitting here today and you may say, man, you know what? That's kind of hard to do. It's kind of hard. I mean, I, I just like the idea of just a reflective moment at the end of the service where I get to just meditate. But he's not calling us to that in his word. What he's calling us to is to remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Because check this out. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he ultimately sacrificed his body and his life for us on the cross, and he was beaten and humiliated for our sake so that we can have restoration and forgiveness with God, then that's what he's calling us to remember in this moment. He's calling us to a space where we can deal with him for the God that he is. And friends, there are three aspects here of the Lord's Supper that I want to touch on today that we must understand if we are going to embrace the different life that we're called by Christ to embrace. And the first one is this, the different life embraces the Lord's Supper intellectually. That means that during this holy moment, during this holy time of reflection, we recall and remember what God has done for us personally. Take that approach today. There is an intellectual acknowledgement that occurs here. What Jesus did for me, when the, when the bread and the wine are being passed by, that's your time to think about what did Jesus do for me? For me, these are times in which I recall and remember the grace he gave me when my love failed someone that I love and was in my care. For me, these are moments when I consider how much he gave to save me 
when he was battered and beaten for me on the cross, when he was humiliated and spat on and completely dragged around as innocent as he was, for me, these are moments when that comes to mind. We mustn't forget that Jesus is real. His dignity was trampled. His life was given. He rose from the grave like the king that he is, defeating death so that you could have a relationship with your creator. So that you could conquer the inner darkness of your thoughts and your life, all those things that keep you up at night. He died for that so that you could have peace in those situations. So that you could have restoration. He pulled me, he pulled you from the pit of despair, wherever it is that grace found you. And once enemies of God, now we're called friends of Jesus. How amazing is that? And during the Lord's Supper, we remember and we recall what Jesus has done for us individually. And it's an acknowledgement intellectually that this is real, that Jesus is who he is and he did what he did for us. But we also remember and recall what Jesus did in history because it edifies us. See, we recall the real life account of the Exodus and the Passover where his power to save was on display. His saving power over every circumstance in the history of all his people was manifest clearly on several occasions, but especially here in Exodus. His consistent faithfulness comes to mind during these holy moments as we partake because we realize that he was faithful then and he's faithful now, even in our midst today. Because his faithfulness does not have an expiration date. But sin and lawlessness do, thanks to him. Look at, uh, it may not be on the screen, I'll read it to us. Exodus 12, verse 21 to 32. So you can hear about his faithfulness in the past. It says, Then Moses called all the leaders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. It had to be a sacrifice, guys. It always had to be a sacrifice. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and then two doorposts with, and then the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall, shall go out the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. In other words, you will keep on doing this. You will keep on remembering me. It's why the Passover was established, the celebration that the Jews did every year. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron 
So they did. And check this out. Because the Lord is faithful at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. When he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. See, when we look back at the the establishment of the the sacrificial lamb, when we look back at the fact that this blood that's in that or this grape juice that we drink represents the blood of Christ, we see that it points back to a rich heritage and a rich history of remembering the true power, the real life victory that we can have in Jesus Christ. Because when these brothers and sisters from the Old Testament realized God's power, they were overjoyed. Guys, we share this rich history with Christians all throughout eternity. From these believers here to the believers that we sit in the room with now, we remember that God has saving power. You see, when his blood was on the doorposts of all of those who believed, The God of the universe that had the power to destroy did not allow them to be destroyed. The God of the universe, the the blood of the lamb that, that was unblemished and sacrificed for their sake and spread on their doorposts, spared their life. And he spares our life because Jesus did the same thing for us today. His blood that was spared on the cross for us. Listen, there always needed to be a sacrifice. And ultimately, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for us. For them, for the Jews of this time, they remember the Passover as the sacrifice. They remember the Passover as the real life time where they saw God's power save them, God's blood protect them. For us today, and for all Christians and believers, that are to come. It's Jesus's blood that once and for all protects us and covers us from the destroyer that seeks to destroy us. And that is something to reflect on and to celebrate. The different life embraces the Lord's Supper physically also. This is just about practical obedience. When we get together We both acknowledge intellectually what God has done through Jesus and what God has done in history, what God has done in our own life. But we also embrace the Lord's Supper physically in that the action of taking and eating, we remember the physical aspect of of God's sacrifice for the payment uh, of our sin, In taking and drinking, we remember the innocent blood that he freely shed to save us from the wrath and punishment of a holy God. 
And guys, that's what I want us to get out of today the most. That scripture reminds us that in this holy moment, these are the things that we're dealing with. These are the things that we're wrestling with. These are the things that we need to consider. It is not just a mere moment at the end of the service where you can breathe and say, oh, okay, got it, done, check mark, wrote. No, this is a moment where you could do business with God. This is a moment where you can have restoration. This is a moment where you can remember what God has done in your life and what God has done all throughout history and how faithful he is. This is a moment in which you can honor Christ. This is a moment in which intellectually, physically, but also spiritually, the different life embraces the Lord's Supper spiritually. See, we partake in Christ's body spiritually during communion. If you just acknowledge what he did intellectually, if you go through the motions and you do everything like partaking like we do every week physically, you totally miss the point. We totally miss the point. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 to 18, just a chapter back, says that it shows us that there is an active participation in Christ's body during this time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? In other words, there's something that we're actively doing. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. See, because what he's doing is, is that he's reminding, Paul is reminding the believers here, and he's reminding us today that we are like our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament times. He's reminding them that even then, those brothers and sisters in Old Testament times actively participated in the sacrifices that were giving in the altar. And in this time of remembrance, in this time of active participation, they worshiped God. And that is what he's calling us, friends. Today, more than anything, he's calling us to embrace our faith in this moment, in this holy moment of Lord's Supper. Friends, our faith embraces all that Christ has accomplished for us in this one moment when we gather and we partake. Remember that Jesus is the spiritual bread of life. And he says, come to me. I am the bread of life. Eat, eat, eat. In a few moments today, Dylan will come up here and he will lead us in a moment of communion. We're going to do something a little bit different today. He will lead us in a moment of communion and Kale will come up to the front and he will lead us through the Lord's Supper. And what I want us to really take time today and reflect on is these things. If the Lord's Supper truly is a time when we reflect on, recall, remember, and celebrate all that Christ has done for us personally and all that Christ has done in history for all Christians and all believers of all walks of life, 
Think about that today. Reflect on that today. As Kale leads us through the Lord's Supper, don't let it be another moment where, where we just idly stand by and not realize the gravity of the moment, the joy of the moment, the celebratory experience of the moment. Deal with God today. Wrestle with God today. If you need to confess a sin there sitting between you and your God, do it. Be freed from that because that's what he reminds us of in this holy moment where we remember his life, death, and resurrection. That we don't have to be captive to the things that keep us up at night. We don't have to be captives to the things that make us turn on the radio because we can't stand the silence in the car. We don't have to be captive to the despair that we suffer. We don't have to be captive to any of it. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week in this church, what we do is acknowledge, remember, recall, and celebrate what God has done for us on the cross and through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, God, we thank you for this time where your word has instructed us, your word has reminded us of who we are and what you have done. God, we know that you don't want us to make a mockery of this, this moment, this holy moment of communion. God, we know that it's because you want us to embrace intellectually what you have actually done in our life, the things that we only know that you helped us triumph and get through. God, you want us to embrace it because it reminds us of your goodness. It reminds us of your love for us. God, I pray that my brothers and sisters that are here as they enter this moment of communion, that you would help them, God, to acknowledge you spiritually physically and mentally, all that they are in you and all that you are in them. In Jesus' name, amen.